even if you propose a new regulatory reform in one particular jurisdiction, there will be quickly another jurisdiction that would offer a very nice menu of exceptions to any corporate body or to any bank that might want to settle there. Hello, this is the weekly Tradecast, the podcast brought to you by UNCTAD, the UN's trade and development body. I'm Sarah Toms. We're exploring how major events are shaping trade and development and how that affects billions of people around the world. This week, we're looking at the impact of multinational companies taking advantage of different rules in different countries to avoid regulation and scrutiny. New research by UNCTAD points to a dramatic contrast in the way foreign direct investment is organised between the global north and the global south. Now, this difference is important as developing countries seek to attract big foreign companies that could help their economies to grow in the long run. Over the past few decades, the globalization of production has brought many benefits, but the patchwork of rules and incentives has also created a big downside for developing countries in terms of lost revenues and opportunities. And here to explain all of this is Anastasia Nezvetilova, head of UNCTAD's Macroeconomic and Development Policies branch and the author of the new research. Born in Belarus, she's been a university professor in London and has written three books on financial crises. She's also a big fan of classical ballet and an amateur ballerina herself. Well, thank you for joining us today, Anastasia. This research is very detailed in looking at the links between multinationals and development. So please give us an overview of the main points. Thanks, Sarah. Nice to see you. We have discovered that the most dramatic pattern that exists is actually the gravitation of financial centers to existing offshore financial centers that we know. These are the islands and the European havens and the countries that facilitate corporate structuring or corporate arbitrage, as we call it, what you just described as patchwork of regulations and avoidance of regulation or scrutiny or transparency by corporate bodies. The second part of discovery is that we now know for sure that corporate organization is highly complex. It's to do with the greater and greater importance of legal and financial services inside the corporate structure itself and the role they perform in creating of value. So the most trivial example would be your cup of coffee. It will cost you quite a lot of money. This particular price would include labor transportation, but most crucially, the name of coffee that somebody buys in the supermarket, you or the owner of the restaurant. The farmer, the coffee farmer, either in South America or in, in Africa, who are harvesting the coffee, do not get that price. So our research has implication for understanding this difference, the initial cost and reward for people on the ground in the developing country, and why the final product in developed markets may cost so much. Now, just to make clear, these activities by mm -hmm. these big companies are perfectly legal. Yes. So how has this situation evolved? A fascinating question. Due to functional reasons of specialization of production, reorganization of value chains, the great importance or the growing importance of financial insurance, legal services that are absolutely crucial to any production now. What is important also in creating this patchwork of corporate structures is that we don't have a coherent global regime of investment 
or corporate regulation. These corporate activities are governed by uh, and regulated by national authorities. So you're talking about a tier systems, we call it equity chains in our research, that allow you A, to control the stream of revenue, to manage the risks, even if you have a very small portion of equity in the subsidiary that you own. But they have evolved into this highly complex network of corporate structures because regulation has allowed them and because they, be, through this corporate structuring, they anticipate any new regulation that might come their way. It's very strategic. What impact does this corporate behaviour have on developing countries then? Existing policy doctrine and very much economic theory assumes that, of course, for development to promote inclusive growth, your structural change, your industrialization, any developing country that wants to do this, it needs to import some advanced technology. It needs investment from advanced markets. That's for indirect investment. So we started to look at what does this incoming FDI do by by looking at corporate filings in a particular database for these 100 top non-financial multinational corporations. And in particular, we analyzed their accounting submissions. We chose two types of such reporting that are deemed most safe the more reliable. One is called a balance sheet type of reporting and another is called an income statement. And although it sounds technical, but distinction is crucial for understanding real and non-real activity of corporations in a developing country. A balance sheet is just a statement of money. You can own something and not do anything with this particular asset. For example, you can own a mine, a building or a piece of land. It would qualify as a FDI as a foreign direct investment, but it would not necessarily bring any economic capacity or value or welfare to the recipient. It's just somebody owning a building. Whereas income statement, this is another financial document that we looked at, actually needs to list what have you been doing in this particular reporting period as a corporate subsidiary. Did you buy any local products? Did you employ people? Did you hire equipment? Did you do insurance contracts? Are you selling something to the market? That would be reflected in this income statement. And we compared these two types of submissions in our corporate structure, and we discovered that they, both in the global north and the global south, there are a lot of corporate entities that are balance sheet only or balance sheet dominant entities. That means they're not doing anything real economic. They're not employing people, they're not buying the ingredients, they're not selling the product. But then we discovered a difference between where this, let's call it phantom FDI, takes place. And in our sample, there is a quarter of such entities in the global south, so in the developing world. In the north, however, although it's present, but the proportion of these entities are less than 1%. So there is quite a significant difference of about 25 times between how corporations behave in the global north and how corporations behave in the global south. Do they bring economic value and activity? Does this economic activity benefit the host economy? It's the first step towards answering that question, but it's an important step. It points to a symmetry in how these corporations are organized, uh, mostly through corporate arbitrage. But of course, there are also regulatory, political reasons, geopolitical reasons, historical reasons, accidental, but it's important. For developing countries, then, where is the balance between benefit and downside? As this piece of research shows, 75% are 
presumably working, creating productive capacity, welfare, value, and contributing to growth. The balance is clearly still on the positive engagement with private capital, with financial investment, with foreign economic presence. But the asymmetry at the same time does point to the need to understand what does incoming capital do with the host economy. Is it important to regulate it? We believe it is. Do developing countries have the capacity to have a regulatory approach to corporate arbitrage. I think it's only in the beginning, even in the global north. We're now seeing a debate emerging on corporate accountability, on global corporate tax, on corporate data filings, transparency that is now being called by the European Union, for example, and potential problems. But these are the necessary steps towards a more multilateral approach to corporate governance that would contribute to inclusive development and indeed sustainable development goals. That ultimately is the question, how can we bring back the benefit of value creation or wealth creation that occurs on the basis of raw materials, labor, productive capacity, environmental capital of the developed country or of the developing world back to them. Well, talking of the benefits, what can developing countries do to address these disparities and enjoy more of these benefits? What's standing in the way? The problem itself is not very widely understood. As you said, it's technical, it's complex. It requires quite a lot of legal knowledge, financial expertise, and of course, political will to regulate. And it remains to be seen whether this appetite for more concerted political action, either to join in with a multilateral effort to control corporate behavior. The key dilemma is, even if you propose a new regulatory reform in one particular jurisdiction, there will be quickly another jurisdiction that would offer a very nice menu of exceptions to any corporate body or to any bank that might want to settle there and avoid any regulation. We agree investment is important for developing countries, but with the current challenges, how does this affect the sustainable development goals? This research directly fits into this need to make investment socially accountable, socially responsible to promote employment, to promote resilience and infrastructure, including social infrastructure. Nothing straightforward in the world, but it's directly contributing to that particular effort. But with the danger of no control over what corporations are doing inside your economy once they settle there, you have more risk that sustainable development goals, or in fact, a lot of other goals will be missed. Thank you to Anktaz, Anastasia and Nezvetilova for being this week's guest. Tune in to the Weekly Tradecast next week and every week for more insights on the most pressing issues around the world of trade and development. There's even more on our website, untad.org. I'm Sarah Thompson-Geneva. Goodbye for now. <laughs>